One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is the start of yet another week in the strange and confusing world of public health, ladies and gentlemen. While Boris Johnson prepares to make yet another series of declarations to the country this very afternoon, I'm still reeling from the behaviour of the Department of Health and Social Care over the weekend, following an amazing article in the Daily Mail on Saturday which laid bare the truth about government statistics on hospital beds, death rates and predictions of disaster, they actually issued a tweet which declared the male facts to be misleading. Let's just run that one by you again. The facts were actually misleading. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr and Mrs Department of Health, but actually, you cannot mislead when you publish facts. That would be the job of the government. Following an outpouring of questions, disagreements and doubts from, amongst others, me, they then deleted the tweet without any kind of explanation, without any kind of reference and without any form of context. Are we to assume now, then, that the Mail article was not misleading and therefore true? If so, fatalities from COVID-19 are barely any higher than deaths over the past five years. If so, the predictions of rising deaths are also wrong. And if so, the hospital beds are actually less occupied than they were same time last year. So the question remains, what exactly is going on? We'll ask consultant Dr. Wakar Rashid what he makes of it all. Uh, but I will welcome any views that you may have, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be having another conversation with Mail on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens because he will want to talk talk very much, I'm sure, about the state we are in, the staggering statistics of doom and the interference of Facebook in the publication by Michael Yeadon of an interview he did with Unlocked about the perils of getting coronavirus wrong. Plus, we'll be bringing you the latest from the Worcestershire shop owner who's battling her local council and now the police to stay open despite orders to close down. Uh, we published a video, uh, or rather I published a video over the course of the weekend, which has now been seen by 150,000 people. Uh, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter account. I'm going to be putting it out again during the course of this show, and I would urge everyone to watch it. 0344 499 1000. And as if you weren't losing enough faith in this Tory government, we will bring you the horrifying and rather unedifying spectacle of billions of pounds of waste going out of the Treasury and into the hands of public sector employees in the form of perks and ridiculous projects. It is truly something to behold. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the entire planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Now, this is the statement that we have received from the Department of Health and Social Care about why they decided it was a good idea to remove a tweet, to delete, indeed, a tweet in which they alleged that an article in the Daily Mail was misleading. Now, the article in the Daily Mail carried, as Julia Hartley Brewer told you earlier, official statistics on occupying uh, the occupancy of beds in hospitals in this country, the number of people dying from COVID in this country, the projected numbers of people dying from COVID and how those numbers had been entirely and utterly wrong. They said this, it is inaccurate to suggest any data has been deliberately misrepresented. During the presentation of data, it was clearly explained what the slides did and did not show. The projections cited were based on what would happen if no further restrictions were put in place and did not take into account the robust action the government has taken to save lives since then. It is vital that people follow the rules and stay at home while the national restrictions are in place so we can bring the transmission rates back down and get back to normality as soon as possible. Really? Really? That is probably the worst government statement I've ever seen in the history of government statements. An absolute load of old cobblers. So we have asked them once more at the Department of Health and Social Care, why did you delete the tweet? And if you did delete the tweet, does that mean that these statistics are not misleading, therefore they are true? Could we please have a yes or no answer to that? Preferably before this show finishes at one o'clock. Thank you very much indeed. Let us talk now to Dr. Wakar Rashid, consultant neurologist and MS specialist, of course, because he, like me, uh, has always been slightly sceptical of the way that some of this data is being used. Uh, Dr. Wakar, very good morning to you. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not very impressed, however, uh, with the Department of Health and Social Care. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's quite extraordinary, wasn't it? Isn't it? Um, I, I think we've seen in um, in the months running up to to now some more subtle sort of um, how shall I put this? Uh, trying to restrict uh, voices from uh, whether it be um, uh, YouTube, Google, or um, just different ways in which, uh, in a more subtle manner, there's been some restriction of um, getting alternative. Uh, narratives out I, I noticed on uh, as you know I um, I've written a, uh, some articles for the spectator which have been you know I think pretty pretty mainstream yeah. being skeptical but not being desperately controversial or anything and uh, I noticed um, that uh, if uh, on trying to retweet you would get a message on Twitter saying do you really want to do this and yeah. you read the article first so it's uh, one of those subtle ways but this is pretty much out in the open isn't it in terms of um, the actual pushback and to a major uh, major daily newspaper in, in the Daily Mail to say to accuse it of misleading its readers without actually offering any um, example of how they supposedly misled their readers by publishing this article and then obviously backtracking now by deleting it. But, yeah. uh, you know, as has been the case in a number of things, when they're wrong, they don't say they're wrong. They just double down on it and say this is very serious. You must follow the rules because yeah. we're trying to protect people's lives. Well, I mean, my particular tweet to them uh, was all about which parts of the so-called misleading article were wrong. You know, for example, were uh, the graphs which showed that the beds are actually less full now than they were same time last year? Is that wrong? Clearly it's not. It's their own figure. You know, is it true that fatalities are the same, if not uh, barely any higher than they were for the past five years? Uh, again, their figures, not mine. So therefore, those are not wrong. Uh, is, is it wrong to suggest that their predictions uh, have turned out to be wildly inaccurate? No, 
None of that stuff is wrong, but they won't address any of that. All they will say uh, is that the data has not been misrepresented. Well, I would differ from them on that because, first of all, we know that Valance and Witty have both produced various pieces of information uh, where they have uh, neglected to show, shall we say, if we're being generous, other pieces of data which would show quite clearly that we are not in such a bad place as we were in March and April. I think, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think what we've seen is a, a real reluctance for them to have a, an open debate on this, whether that be um, the various people in SAGE um, and uh, with Professor Whitty and Valence and, uh, and or whether that be in terms of the Department of Health itself uh, with uh, the messaging that it's used. So you see very much a... Um, an absolute monotone sort of uh, messaging coming out from the major sort of broadcast mm. media. Uh, and obviously, um, with uh, when the, as, as I say, when they've proved, when it's been shown that their modelling has been inaccurate, they've not come back and said they've, they've just doubled down or they've said, as, as you read in that statement, they, well, it's, it's, you know, they've kind of tried to imply it's because of the, the measures that they've taken. That's why. And so you get these sort of quite ridiculous sort of... Um, um, I can't remember the, the wording that Professor Valence used now, but it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a prediction. It was something else, which is completely yeah. you know, if it was going to be, it was a scenario. True, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it would have meant, you know, that uh, all of us in the world, all of us in the country, twice over would have ended up getting coronavirus if it continued in that manner. It was just it was just nonsensical. Yeah. You know, I think that was a point, actually, and I, I wrote about this and uh, just speaking to, um, uh, you know, fellow colleagues uh, who I work with. And, and, and I know that a lot of confidence, I think, was lost with them because, you know, we we have been as a medical profession, as you know, very supportive of this as a you know, very serious um, uh, threat to us in terms of COVID and, and the pandemic and very th serious threat to a lot of people in terms of their health. And we tried to obviously work uh, with um, whoever tried to engage with us to support them. But um, this was really um, a, a misrepresentation, I think, of, of the information or trying to portray a picture in a very, you know, not so subtle way, I have to say, which was just there to spread fear, really, no other mm. way to put it. And it was unnecessary. And uh, similarly, the, the tweets which the Department of Health sent, it's, it's unnecessary to do that. But they obviously feel that um, they can't be challenged because if they're challenged, then their narrative falls down. And uh, so th this absence of debate um, I think represents a sort of a weakness, really. Well, it does. But also more dangerous than, than the, just the kind of the theory of what they're doing is the fact that they're basing their public policy and specifically their lockdown policy. And yet again, we're going to be facing more of that this afternoon when we hear from Boris Johnson. You know, they're basing all of that on this data. And so if the data they're using uh, is, in fact, not correct or not being correctly used, shall we say, uh, or not being changed or, or their policy isn't changing once they see the reality then what's the point of it? Quite. I think uh, it, I, I saw uh, a report, I think it was um, sort of middle of last week, that uh, had the uh, modelling that had been presented to the Prime Minister just prior to uh, lockdown uh, come to pass. Uh, at this moment, uh, we would be seeing uh, Macmillan hospitals full. Hmm. And obviously, they're, they're unused still. And so they're, they're very clearly in this modeling got some of the parameters they put into the model wrong uh, and i think there was an expectation of a repeat of spring 
uh, and this sort of um, rapid rise in infections, and that has not come to pass, thankfully. And there's various reasons for that. I think, you know, there's a lot more uh, immunity out there than they bargained yeah. for and they've modeled for. And I think uh, also the the sort of the softer and more understandable measures that we all agree with and follow with in terms of hygiene and if you've got symptoms and not to give it to other people are being followed uh, and are helpful. And it's all this other stuff on top and then this paranoia and fear that they're spreading, it, it just loses trust. And mm. so now people are just getting fed up and this it, is the time when you don't want that to happen. You want to be working with people and, and engaging and having trust with people. Well, that's the problem, because now everyone practically that I speak to uh, has completely lost faith in any government uh, statements about anything at all. Because what we're being told constantly, which is true, it turns out not to be true. It turns out to be a projection of some kind, turns out to be a model of some kind, turns out not to be scientifically based at all. And the modelling that they're using, I mean, Steve Baker MP was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning, and he said they've got to stop using whatever this system of modelling is that they're using. They have to change it because it's clearly inaccurate. Yeah, I caught a little bit of that. I didn't see it at all. Um, I think he, uh, I think he, he's right. I think... Um, there's two issues as far as I can see. Firstly, is the that, um, and I think the tone was set uh, probably going back to sort of February time, is you have a, a group of scientific advisors who really have run the show in a large part, much yeah. more than really expert advisors should be doing. And mm. I think that's because the, uh, the ver there was a, a, a lack of, and uh, you know, it's hard and it's a very complex issue, but there was a lack of, suitable expertise within the Department of Health itself. And so they, I think, deferred too much with too unquestioning to this group of uh, expert advisors. And um, I think that when it starts to dawn on them that actually mistakes are being made, so whether that be in the initial modeling, whether that be in the care home outbreaks that occurred, whether that be the far too slow reduction of restrictions uh, once uh, we passed the peak in May, it, you know, there was, virtually no COVID infections uh, at all in the summer, and yet we were still being restricted. It's, it's quite extraordinary, really. Um, and, and then the slow response as infections started to pick up again as, as uh, schools went back, universities went back in the seasonal change. But they've, they've, they've seen all this in the Department of Health, but they've not come back, it seems to me anyway, to the expert advisor and said, hang on a minute, you're getting this wrong. And they've kind of dipped their toe into getting one or two other opinions, but they mm. haven't been strong enough to say to these expert advisors, I think you're wrong in this. You were wrong here. You're wrong there. Justify this because it's just been, it seems to me, far too unquestioning the acceptance of their advice. Well, it does. Because also, I mean, they would have far more, I think, credibility, the government, if they said, look, you know, we did make these predictions. We did think that this could happen. Luckily, because of what we have done, and they could even take credit for it if they wanted to, um, it now would appear for example, that we don't need to keep lockdown until December the 2nd. We may be able to now open gyms, for example, uh, on Friday, rather than yeah. waiting until December the 2nd or December the 3rd. And I think people yeah, would really right. go along with that and they would feel as though there was some form of kind of uh, flexibility going on within the government. Because don't forget, they're now selling us this vaccine idea uh, where we're going to have all these different vaccines coming at us. It's going to be like, you know, uh, kids in a candy store time. Which one would you like? You know, you get to take yes. your pick of, you know, three or four <laughs> different ones. Um, some of them are 70% accurate. Some of them are 90% accurate. I don't think anyone really knows what that means. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think... 
to your, to your first point, yeah, I, I, I saw um, the reports that they're going to let uh, out the kids' outdoor recreational sports start again, but yeah. from December the 2nd, I think, well, why are you waiting? Yeah, you, know, right. you know this is safe. You know many children get a huge amount of pleasure. Many adults get pleasure watching their children do this. Why yeah. are you waiting? You know, what possible reason do you have? And uh, isn't it interesting as well, if we wind back uh, a week or two to mm. when the lockdown first started, and you've got, again, this endless stream of professors coming on uh, saying, well, we may have to extend it further in December to, you know, we, and unfortunately, well, fortunately for, for all of us, but perhaps unfortunately for the modelling, is that what's been very clear is actually the, the infection cases have dropped and they were dropping actually before certainly stabilizing right. and on the way down and that should before. be that should be a good thing they should be celebrating that absolutely. right absolutely and so it becomes so we've not heard much of this in the last few days of this extending lockdown beyond december the two, uh, second now because it's completely nonsensical mm. that you know the figures just do not bear this out and uh, uh, you know there there should be this sort of um, uh, i think uh, don't want to over overplay but just say well look hang on a minute modeling isn't everything let's just pause a bit let's just actually be a bit more measured in how we do this instead of being forced into measures i mean four weeks why four weeks mm. of a lot you right. know why not just say well look okay we've been told we may be getting overwhelmed we're lock we're going to lock down for you know a short period of time and observe and see and it's abundantly clear had we done that instead of committing to four weeks we would now be saying actually things look much more reassuring now we can come out of lockdown Yes. And also, would they mind, please, actually looking at the proper statistical information rather than at what they think might happen if something else happens, uh, which would make it very, very easy and much more plausible to open up all manner of things? You know, if you can get on a plane, if you can get in a train, you know, why can't you go to the pub? Why can't you open up restaurants? Why can you not have shops open so that people can do their Christmas shopping? And I mean, I was driving uh, back up to London from Sussex yesterday. Steady stream of traffic. Nothing particularly terrible compared to what it's like during the week. But, you know, this ludicrous sign suddenly appeared on the A2, which said, stay home, essential travel only. I burst out laughing because literally nobody is paying any attention to it. Yeah, I, I mean, going to work and the roads are very busy. Yeah. And, uh, and just just generally, I, I think the thing that's uh, people are getting, trying to get on with their normal lives, but it's it's the, the businesses that have been destroyed in the process, yeah. uh, which is just so sad. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's unnecessary. Um, we saw, and, you you know, going back to your point, we could let uh, let them take credit for this. So if we, we saw a... Um, a stabilization mm. uh, happening from re really mid to late October in terms of cases. So you could you could give government credit and say, well, maybe the tier system was doing something. I'm not so sure. I think it probably would have happened anyway. But great, you know, some you know, it's good that we were seeing the stabilization. And then why, on the basis of this sort of you know this modelling, which uh, you know has obviously not come to pass. And and the the funny you know the the, the funny thing was that even as um, uh, Boris Johnson was was delivering his speech. It was clear that the modelling uh, wasn't wasn't coming to pass. Uh, mm. It was on the data that was being presented, which is over a week old, I recall. It was clear that the figures that should be being projected were not coming to pass even then, and that they still went along and went ahead with it. It was just quite extraordinary. Right. I mean, at what point did modelling become such a, a sort of epic part of, of science? Yeah. Because, I mean, you're a neurologist. Yeah. You work in, in, in the area yeah. of MS. I mean, I presume not everyone uses these models in order to predict 
what the flow of patients is likely to be or, yeah. you know, what the rate of, say, for example, infection uh, in any given um, uh, neurology areas is. I mean, does everybody yeah. use these models or is it well, just epidemiologists working for the government? I'll give you an example. Um, uh, so so-called mad cow disease, so uh, new variant CJD. So yeah. this, uh, this was uh, early in my career as a neurologist. It's a neurological disorder, all kinds of projections, including one from Professor Ferguson. Yeah. Um, massive confidence intervals, which tell you, so that means the range was massive, going from a few hundred to hundreds of thousands. So that's telling you the modeling is not going to be accurate. They don't know. And it was so dependent on lots of different things. Uh, and as I say, with modeling, if you put in inaccurate parameters, it goes wrong. Um, I, I, instead of, I've done a lot of, uh, when I was uh, doing my research, uh, looking at uh, MRI modeling of uh, MS and, uh, you know, you, you clicked a, a different button on the modeling software, you got a different answer. So, you know, it, it is all based on your current set of knowledge and the parameters you put in. And you've got to then update your knowledge when that knowledge changes. And I think the knowledge has changed. And uh, then you've got to then, I think, be honest with people and say, well, actually, uh, and I think there should be. If I mean, if, if SAGE and the uh, Department of Health had anything about them in terms of where we are now, I think, uh, you know, whether it be today or at some press conference, they ought to come back and say, Look, we said in a worst case scenario, this could happen. Thankfully, this happened. Mm. Thank you so much for following the guidelines and behaving responsibly because uh, we are not in as bad a state as we are. We can start to, you know, we obviously stay vigilant. We stay, um, you know, respectful, but we don't need to go to the lengths that were being bandied around about, you know, lockdowns lasting till Christmas. And, you know, now they're here at 25 days of lockdown because you can have five days of freedom Christmas. This is really not scientific stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think it needs to stop uh, because it's just eroding more and more trust. And this is going to be bad for all of us, I think, in healthcare long term. Well, you would think that after that experience of Neil Ferguson and his hopelessly wrong and useless model, that maybe the government would have considered either one ditching him and or ditching the system. But instead of that, they didn't ditch either of them and instead employed them for further kind of nonsense for decades. Um, it's a certain section of the media. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he still you know, gets so interviewed it's... regularly on the BBC on Neil Ferguson. Despite, I mean, it's literally I mean, like no, he's like a joke no character how... now. No matter how often you're wrong, you you still you still seem to be able to get invited on. It's quite extraordinary. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, it's obviously. Uh, I think the other thing, actually, the other wider point you made is that I think there's there are people still there, still out there, because, and I don't blame them. It's because of the information they receive, who still feel that actually, because of the action taken, we've averted these models, and actually. The modelling was accurate, and it's uh, it's because of what's been done that it's right. been uh, been uh, that it's not happened. And it, right. it's so let's so so, it, so just before we go, then, Doctor Wakar Rashid, mm -hmm. let us recap on what the government has done as a result of all of these lockdowns uh, that they've put into place and the tiers one, two, and three. Uh, we have managed to retain the same death rates as we did last year. Okay. We've managed to have fewer hospital beds occupied than there were last year. We've managed to accrue a huge waiting list of people who haven't been able to get any access to healthcare because of this shutdown. Uh, we've managed to ruin a whole bunch of businesses. Um, and we've ended up actually uh, with a pandemic which hasn't really affected much of the population in any kind of meaningful way. So that's pretty much it, right? Well, 
Well, there's one thing you've forgotten there is we've got uh, an increased number of people dying at home for non-COVID reasons. Yes. Well, and which is such a big concern. I was trying I mean, to do no them a favour. I was trying to make it look <laughs> rosy. You know. I mean, no one in Sage seems to be concerned by this. It is such a big problem. Yeah. Uh, approximately 100 people a day dying, excess deaths yeah. at home. That uh, is, and that is, and if, and if that was the only thing that they were causing to be a problem, yeah. that would be bad enough. But it's a whole lot yeah. worse than that. But listen, Dr. Wakar Rashid, thank you very much indeed. A neurologist, MS specialist, man who talks absolute sense. What is going on in the Department of Health? I would like to know who I'm paying to send out tweets which are alleging that newspaper reports which are based on true and real data are somehow misleading. How do you get to be in charge of a Twitter account from a government department without actually being fired? Because that's what I'd like to see. Thank you very much. I'd like an answer from the Department of Health, who I fund, who you fund, who we all fund. Right. They're all living very high in the hog, as we'll be finding out very shortly, these civil servants. And I think we owe them uh, a duty of care to ensure that they do the right thing. They tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, rather than taking data, locking us all up telling us all that we have to like it or lump it, and then telling us all when we question them that we're doing the wrong thing. Well, no thanks, matey. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. A very good morning to you, Mr Hitchens. Uh, you will no, good morning. You will no doubt be uh, very buoyed by the news on the front page of the Daily Mirror this morning that we will be allowed, apparently, to have Christmas. Well, <laughs> this is very kind of them to <laughs> let Isn't us it do just? that. Next, they'll be letting us wear what we like. Yes. Get up in the morning when we like, leave our houses when we like, and in, indeed uh, live normal lives. It's, I didn't actually realise that these things <laughs> were in the gift of the government. I thought we had them anyway, uh, that we lived in a country where everything was permitted unless it was specifically prevented. But yes. astonishing that we've turned into a sort of semi-Soviet state uh, in the past few months in which uh, it's all been reversed. Yes. And what's far worse to me is that so many people have been willing to put up with this arrangement uh, and have not protested against it or objected to it or even written to their members of parliament to say, stop this or examine it. The thing I still find all the time in the public arguments I have with this is the number of people who believe government claims that strangling society and the economy and cancelling our freedom actually saves lives. Yes. Uh, there is no evidence, it remains the case, there is no evidence at all of any connection between the zeal with which the government strangles the economy and society and the death rate. There just yeah. isn't one. No, uh, there isn't. On the contrary, uh, it may well be uh, that the, the, the number of deaths, particularly from people failing to get medical treatment or simply dying of loneliness and misery, goes up as a result of this. Certainly the numbers of people unemployed goes up. And you mentioned, and we should discuss, the Daily Mail's fantastic piece, of, of, of good, hard, popular journalism on Saturday, which really obviously scared the government. Yeah. They've done it again this morning with a terrific analysis of the economic dangers, the loss of jobs which is going on, and the awful danger to, to the national health, mm. which this, of course, presents. Yes, indeed. I'm hoping, and I may well be overreaching here, that the piece in the Mail on Saturday will actually act as some form of watershed moment because a lot of people noted that, you know, this perhaps is the first time that a proper newspaper with proper research and proper, um, you know, clout has actually published a list of figures and statistics, which are official figures, government figures, which show that actually um, everything that you have been saying all along is true. Uh, everything that, that we have been saying here at Talk Radio is true, that the hospital bed situation is actually not at all critical. Uh, the death rate 
rates are entirely the same as they would be in any other year. Um, and in fact, that all of these desperately doomy predictions and gloomy predictions are completely off the scale wrong. Well, quite. And the other fantastically important thing about this event, which everybody should, should remark and file, uh, is the fact that the government's response to it was not to admit it, uh, not to issue any kind of statement saying why it was that they disagreed with it or, or, or deprecated it, but simply to claim that it was misleading, a claim completely without foundation. And basically the reaction of somebody who would very much have liked to have censored this story if they possibly could. Mm. Uh, what I saw in that reaction was the, was the behaviour of a government which does not believe in free speech or a free press. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's obviously great that on this occasion it came up against an opponent uh, its own size, uh, which fought back and yeah. also came uh, up against a great deal of deserved derision, and it withdrew. But we know, I, last week, the, the report on mask wearing from Denmark finally emerged and showed that basically the, it doesn't make any difference whether you wear a mask or whether you don't. Mm. And this barely appeared in any uh, newspaper at all except my own, uh, but it was taken up by Carl Hennigan of Oxford University, uh, who, together with his colleague Tom Jefferson, posted on The Spectator a very interesting article about it, uh, which he then tried to put on Facebook, and Facebook then said he couldn't put up because it was factually incorrect. Yeah. Carl Hennigan is, is in charge of the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine in Oxford. His, his stuff is all factual, and it was outrageous, but you, there's a constant attempt in all kinds of areas, particularly by the social media groups, to censor uh, the truth about what's going on. And when the government joins in that, then we really do have a big problem. And I, I'm going to pursue this and find out where that tweet uh, from the government saying this was, this was misleading originated. Who authorised it? Right. And then again, who unauthorised it and cancelled it? They haven't even admitted it. They haven't put up another tweet, as far as I know, saying, we're sorry, this tweet was wrong. They've just removed it. Yes. Well, I put a tweet up, obviously, before they removed it, in which I asked them this. Please address why uh, this is misleading, referring to the Daily Mail's um, article. Are the figures for hospital beds wrong? Are the figures for death rates wrong? Are the SAGE predictions not wrong? And are the infection rates collected wrong? And they didn't answer that, of course. I then put another no, one I did out. The same thing. I, no. I, did, I, I did another one after they deleted the tweet, saying, please, could you tell me, now that you have deleted this tweet, why have you deleted it? And does that now mean that the Daily Mail story is not, in fact, misleading and is true. Well, of course, it does mean that, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. Of course always very unwise. Ross Clark is a very diligent and, and thorough journalist. and It was extraordinarily unwise for them to take that attitude. Uh, if they'd had a criticism, they should have waited till they were absolutely clear they had it. Because yeah. he was operating from exactly the same figures the government's operating from. And, and, and there it is. This, this whole crisis has been more or less from the start, a statistical crisis rather than an actual one, mm. uh, in which figures have been presented in such a way as to make out that we are suffering from a far more serious outbreak of, uh, let's say it again, of a, of a definitely serious disease. We're suffering from a far more serious outbreak uh, than we actually are. And th this, th this, this has been the case for so long. And the, the second wave, you could tell for ages. I mean, it, 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 it was anybody who knew anything about coronavirus said a second wave as such was most unlikely. But the government was determined to have one. And so you can see the statistics being uh, being produced and arranged so as to suggest this is true. But Hitchens' second law of politics is uh, that all politically important statistics 
a fiddle. Mm. And I've never seen a better example of it than that. No, incredible. Absolutely incredible. And yet here we are once again, we're going to be hearing from Boris Johnson this afternoon, uh, sometime around three, I believe, um, about what is likely to happen on December the 2nd. Clearly, the government have kind of folded, it would seem, over the whole idea of Christmas because they've realised that they can't actually police Christmas because too many people are now going to just enjoy themselves and have the Christmas that they want to have. But they will still be using these these same projections, these same models. Uh, And Steve Baker, MP, was on with Julia Hartley-Brewer this morning saying they've got to change this modelling system because they'll be using the same modelling system to then take us back into, you know, tier two, tier three, tier 3.5, tier 4.3, you know, all of that nonsense. They won't change. No, well, nothing, nothing fundamental is changing. We're, we're in this, I think, until March and probably April uh, because the government continues to believe and has believed from the start that it is right and cannot understand that it is wrong, uh, which, again, is, 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 is another reason for the extraordinary outburst on Twitter on, on, uh, on, on Saturday. Mm. But the, the, the whole attitude, the whole, the whole mad surgeon attitude, you've got a Baruka. Uh, so I've got to cut off your leg. Right. Uh, continues, and uh, there's a wasp nest in your roof, so I have to burn down your house. Right. They continue to do it. They can do say, "Well, I burnt down your house, so the, the, the wasp nest has gone. I've cut off your leg. The verruca has gone. It's mm. a success." And the only thing that we did wrong was we didn't cut your leg off soon enough. We didn't burn your house down soon enough. And people still swallow this garbage, and as long as they continue to swallow this line, uh, that even even people who are gradually coming round to understanding they've been conned and been deprived of a, of, of a huge part of their lives and of, of their future health and wealth. Even people like that still, at the end of it, say, yes, but we should have locked down earlier. The ideology, the dogma of this, the idea that the government knows what it's doing mm. and has a, has a sensible plan, still has still got into people's heads. And until that gets out, the government can continue to mess us around like this. People like you and I can object to it, can tell the truth about it. People like Ross Clark can, can write about it. The Daily Mail can publish it. But as long as a substantial majority of people still swallow this this garbage, uh, we're still stuck with it at least until the spring. And then what happens if another virus mm. emerges uh, from Asia and we have to shut down the country again on the same logic? Unless the logic is defeated, unless we can show this thing was wrong from the start, we're, we're, we're stuck with it at least till the spring and quite possibly forever. Mm. Well, that is the terrible, terrible dread that we all fear, isn't it? Because when you look around at uh, what's going on out in the real world, it seems as though people have sort of become diffident about it. It's not as if they're, 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 they're believing it necessarily or they're swallowing everything that's being, being said to them by the government. But they're kind of working around it, if you like. They're sort of just saying to themselves, well, do you know what? We're just going to do what we want to do regardless. And I think an awful lot of more people will start doing that. Up to a point, but I think quite a lot of people are still nervous of it, and th- and they are genuinely afraid that they could that they could get into trouble. Also, the government, in, well, the police particularly, are becoming incredibly hard on certain things. A group of of, of lockdown skeptics in my hometown of Oxford gather harmlessly in, in, in I'm afraid, regrettably small numbers in the centre of that city, usually on Saturday afternoons. This last Saturday, they were actually approached by the police as mm. if they were running some sort of demonstration. I, I think I I remember you possibly do the great the great uh, the, the most important um, Euro, Western European uh, coup d'état of our time, the, the Colonel's coup in Greece yeah. in the seventies. In the one of the things which sent a shiver down my spine was one of the things they immediately announced was a ban on gatherings of I think more than three people. Yeah. I, I, that's always been a characteristic to me of dictatorship. And now we have that here. 
and I completely it's a different a different a different area, but it's it's in some way the same thing. I've taken up the cause of Julian Assange. Uh, because although I don't like him and he doesn't like me, I feel that the, the attempt to extradite him is basically a kidnap. Yeah. Uh, and it's a threat to the freedom of the press. And I think many more journalists are joining. There was a small demonstration in favour of Julian Assange in central London last week. Uh, and the police descended on it and dispersed them on, on a coronavirus grounds. Mm. But 200 yards away in Leicester Square, there were a group of people listening to a rather good busker much larger, the police left them completely alone. Right. It's obviously selective, it seems to me, unless, unless Cressid and Dick can give me some explanation as to why uh, a group of people listening to a bus are more, uh, uh, more of a coronavirus threat than a group of people saying free Julian Assange. That's the way I'm going to view it. Well, indeed. And, and, and similarly, why was it that the police seemed to stand by while um, two members of Extinction Rebellion were able to get close enough to the Cenotaph uh, to put a wreath uh, at, at the very high point of it um, while walking across some of the other wreaths that were there uh, when they were not supposed to be allowed to do it. Her reasoning, apparently, was that they weren't being offensive. And I didn't well, realise that, that. that that was now uh, an allowance for being able to make some kind of pr- representation. No, it's extraordinary, isn't it? But these, of course, are the same police, some of whose members took the knee. Yes, uh, some, I, I think the, the, the politicisation of the police forces of England and Wales, I won't go into the Scottish question, the politicisation of the police forces of England and Wales over the past 40, 50 years is now coming definitely mm. to fruition. People imagine they still have the police force they used to have. It's been completely and utterly transformed from inside. So it continues to look roughly the same. Uh, and that it's now something completely different. Now it doesn't even look the same. No. Those police officers in this country have flat hats or baseball caps uh, of course, they mask their faces under yeah. current circumstances, which seems to me to be extremely worrying for a police force. And they uh, they they neither behave nor walk nor conduct themselves nor speak as the police force of my youth, teens, twenties, and thirties did. No, exactly. And I mean, you retweeted uh, kindly something we're going to talk about later on in the show. A woman uh, who's been in touch with us a couple of times already, Lydia, who runs the stationery shop up in uh, Droitwich in Worcestershire, where West Mercia police decided to visit her, and she filmed it where these two characters, as you would have seen, uh, were standing there sort of reading off a script. Well, we're here to close you down. And she just said, well, I'm, you know, I, I believe that the law is wrong. I believe that, in fact, um, uh, I'm going to challenge it. Um, so basically, we're not closing down. And they just kind of walked off. And it seemed to be one of the most ludicrous situations I've seen during this whole lockdown. But this is what the end of freedom means. It means you can't do anything. You can't make your living. You can't do anything without government permission and often irrationally withdrawn. And this is why I wrote on Sunday that the country increasingly comes to resemble East Germany. People said, oh, don't be ridiculous. You don't have the Stasi or the Berlin Wall. I said, look, East Germany existed as it did because it was brought into being by Soviet tanks. The difference between between that country and this is we are slowly and almost voluntarily accepting constraints on our lives uh, and increasing, I have to say, on our ability to travel abroad as well, uh, which hugely resemble that country. And I noted that the East German Parliament, most people don't realise this, the Volkskammer, the People's Chamber, did actually have a Conservative Party in it. And it had a Liberal Party in it and a Farmers Party. And they were all allowed in it, provided they agreed with everything that the Communist Party Well, I thought that was a great point. We have a similar arrangement here now. Yeah, I thought that was a great point because Keir Starmer, the only thing he really seems to uh, uh, sort of... um, Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Suffice to do uh, is to basically agree with everything that Boris Johnson's doing, but telling him that he should have done it earlier. Well, it's like, it's like the, uh, the, the Conservative Party conferences were always pretty terrible. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the only opposition would come from someone who'd stand up and say, I oppose this motion because it doesn't go far enough, right. uh, which is a, an indication of how democratic that party is. Right. And that's pretty much what Starmer says. Well, I oppose what the government's doing because it's not stupid enough. Mm. Uh, and and I, it's not harmful or damaging enough, particularly to Labour voters. Yeah. I, I, I do wish, I, I know you come across Paul Embry, a, a fire brigade yes. guy who, who's written a very interesting book on the betrayal of the working class by Labour, which we uh, serialised in the Mail on Sunday last Sunday. Mm. Uh, he, he, of course, is, is, thinks that Labour should speak for the, for the working people of this country. Starmer thinks that Labour should speak for a, for a more or less Euro-communist a metropolitan elite and right. to egg with the, the workers who can all lose their jobs as far as he's concerned, as far as I can see. I'm amazed the Labour Party survives in the midst of all this. But I suppose as long as they go on attacking Jeremy Corbyn, nobody will notice what's written. Well, I think that's the trouble for the Labour, is, is that once they've now lost Scotland because they betrayed the working man and woman up there with it, without thinking about it, they thought they would have Scotland for the rest of time. They'll never get into power now without all those Scottish seats. And I think it looks more and more likely that they're just not ever going to get back in in my lifetime, I don't think. Well, don't really doubt because it, the when the when the economic effects of this of this shutdown kick in, uh, what will be remembered is that Johnson was in charge, not that Starmer was leader of the opposition. Hardly anyone remembers, for instance, that the Tory Party did not oppose the Iraq War in two thousand and three. Mm. They never got the backlash from it that Labour got when people realised that they'd been conned. And I fear very much that Labour might benefit electorally from the when people realise they've lost their jobs, they've lost their savings, they've lost their pensions. Uh, their children have lost their hopes of any kind of career or, or, or decent education. When this becomes clear to people in large numbers and they start saying, right, who can we punish for this? They'll punish the government and Labour will benefit from that. Also, Labour's quite capable of a coalition with the, the SNP, which is, doesn't really differ from them in any substantial way on, on major issues of policy. No, true. I mean, I find what, what, what may happen is that the Tories will, will somehow uh, manage to dump Boris Johnson once, if if in, if indeed Brexit ever does get done, and they'll find a more palatable kind of replacement uh, for him, and somehow they will 
bring it all back. But I mean, I'm beginning to wonder about that. The more I talk, well, to, the more the more I talk to you, Peter, the less unlikely I think that could be. Because now, for example, whenever when you see Sadiq Khan doing a full 360 degree uh, turn, who now says he's very worried about central London. This is after telling everybody, you know, not to come to work, after telling everybody not to travel on the trains, after telling everybody not to actually go out. He's now worried that the, the heart of London may be dying. Well, that's smart of him to notice that. And in fact, London is one of the principal victims of this. It's the same has happened in the United States. I mean, the, the, the government of New York City yeah. has done immense damage to its own city and people, which I, it, it's astonishing there's not, not more uh, discontent about. I know. Uh, well, there's a lot of people moving out of New York City and, and an awful lot of people just leaving the place and they've just sat, shut the schools now, which is only going to hurt the poorer people who live there who can't move out and who now have to stop working to look after their kids. No, I was astonished by that. I thought even the, even the, the, the weirdest of the, of, the, of the lockdown zealots had begun to understand that closing the schools was a mistake and I, I, I couldn't see it. But, of course, even when the schools are open, there are constant attempts to shut them down. Mm. You know, one one the pupil turns up and tests positive. There's nothing wrong with them. And before you know where you are, the whole school's been sent home. Yeah. Uh, because uh, undoubtedly the, the teaching unions still don't really want the schools to be open and any opportunity, I think, to shut them down uh, comes in hand. Right. But I mean, I suppose, and I know this was something we talked about last week, but the kind of the poster boy of all of this has to now be the prime minister, doesn't it? Sitting um, you know, marooned in his own home without having any reason to be so marooned, apart from the fact that the rules say he has to be marooned for 14 days, despite the fact that he's had a negative test and there's nothing wrong with him. Well, he's imprisoned by his own rules, yeah. and I suppose that's that's, that's only just. Uh, if if he if he didn't stick to them so much, then of course, one sees that they're now being revised. Yes, uh, it's just a short time. <laughs> I wonder right. where that came from. Right. I mean, that's the trouble. Every single time you get told to follow the rules. I mean, I I have conversations daily now with people, and we're all kind of looking at each other. Going to be honest, I don't actually know what they are anymore you know, on anything. Well, no, but you you do know that, uh, that that one misstep and you could be in trouble. Mm. And, uh, and of course, what you also know is that is that the police can be extraordinarily vigilant uh, on on anybody who protests about it. Well, I'm now being followed, interestingly, by West Mercia Police. You yeah. are, yeah. It- uh, on, I hope it's on, only on Twitter. Right? I, only on well, as far as I know, only on Twitter. They haven't you actually. Have the, you don't see strange cars in your. They haven't, they haven't started tailing me yet, but but it gives me a slight fearing uh, feeling of foreboding, actually. Well, I can I, I can readily imagine that. I want, but then, of course, the, the, the thing about the, the modern world the internet is you have got no idea who's following you. Uh, but I I don't I, I think that you and I have because we have a reasonably strong public position. Are relatively safe, but in ordinary individuals who, in any way, protest against this or step across the line, are terribly vulnerable to arbitrary authority and tyrannical, mm. ruinous fines, which can be imposed, in my view, completely illegally, because the Bill of Rights of 1689 absolutely outlaws this kind of thing from happening. But there they are; it's happening, and there's nobody in in our court system standing up for the Bill of Rights. Saying, "See what's happened, by the way, to Simon Dolan's great court case, which was heard mm. uh, in, in in the courts." Now, weeks ago, what's taking them so long to, to, to deliver their verdict on whether the government is subject to judicial review? Yeah. Where are the courts in all this? It's a fairly straightforward uh, decision, I would have thought. I mean, why take so long to do it? Well, I know. I, I, well, I, I long for it to come, but maybe the, the verdict is unpalatable, just as the verdict of the Danish mask study mm. was unpalatable to the authorities. So three major scientific journals refused to publish it. Yet when you read it, 
it, it, it's, it's completely un, unimpeachable. Mm. Why, did, why did they refuse to publish it? And certainly not for scientific reasons. No, certainly not. Peter, I feel we're at the end of the time slot once again, but delightful to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. We shall catch up again next week uh, to see where we are then. Uh, we'll be very nearly next week, of course, at the point of lifting uh, this second lockdown. And we may know, and we should know a little bit more about that coming up later on today. We'll bring it to you live, of course, right here on Talk Radio. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, will be addressing the House of Parliament uh, with the new rules and the new plan uh, for what happens in December. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I was contacted by Lydia's son uh, over the course of the weekend, and he said that they had some footage uh, of the police visiting the shop uh, to try and close them down. I asked him if he had the footage. uh, Could we put it out? Could we publish it? We managed to do that on Twitter. So far, it has now been viewed by 160,000 plus people. And in fact... It has caused quite a stir in West Mercia Police. Uh, They have now issued a statement about it publicly on Twitter. We've got it here. But let's have a look, if you're watching or just listening, to what happened. I've been told if you keep failing to abide by the trading standards, then you need to be closed. There is a risk that you pay by yourself. I don't get that. if you continue to fail to obey by the regulations... Well, we'll shut down completely. But there is a risk that you can be given away or you can have your licence taken away from you and you can be shut. This is a a substantial risk that you are facing by not adhering to the lockdown guidelines and based on what trading standards have advised you already. We'll have to look into that. If you want to look into that, my guess, I can only go on what I've been told myself. No, excuse me, you're not even giving us time to sort out what our rights are here. This is a no. Wait a minute. This is a business of thirty years here, and we 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 don't feel that you are that the law is is right in this respect. That we are not doing anyone any harm by being open. We are doing no harm. What what proof is there that you you we've harmed anyone? That you're open. You've been told by the Witchhaven District Council, the Health and Protection, the Coronavirus um, Restrictions in England, and before the regulations that you do not meet the required premises guidelines to remain open during a lockdown. Yeah, but you haven't told us why the fact that we're selling food That's items... That's not for me to argue. That has come from the, the regulatory service. That yeah, isn't for me to decide. Yeah, and it says that we can challenge it. So we're, yeah. that's what you we're can challenge it, that's not with us. That'll be with them. This isn't for us to challenge. That'll be for you to take up with them. As far as we're concerned, we've been told by the government that this does not meet the requirements <coughs> for the shop to be open. <laughs> So that is what we're here to advise you. Um, You've been in here to advise. We've got your advice, yeah. Okay. Take consideration. I've told you that the risks that could be imposed upon this. If you don't, I'm not going to give the details. So be it. Well, Well, we've given you our details. I've told you six times. You have the details. I'm not going to stay here and have an argument with you. We just wanted to let you know. Thanks. So that's the police force in this country in 2020. We're working because the government have told us this. Really? I don't really think the government's actually told them anything, has it? The council has said to the police that we've issued a closure order for this business and we think that you should go and tell them that we're going to shut you down. Uh, and if we're, not only are we going to shut you down, but we're going to remove your licence, mind you, so that you can't actually do any business at all. Here's a statement from the police, which we have now uh, received. It's been put out on Twitter. Following footage circulating on social media of West Mercia police officers enforcing a prohibition notice issued by Witchhaven District Council, we have issued a statement. They've also misspelt prohibition, by the way, but never mind that. The statement from Witchhaven District Council can be found below. 
But here's what the police say. Chief Superintendent Paul Moxley says, We remain hugely sympathetic to the difficult times that business owners, particularly small and independent businesses, are having to endure. None of my officers, and I'm sure no one in Witchhaven District Council, joined our chosen professions anticipating and anticipating that we would have to enforce government rules such as this. However, it is the role of both our organisations to ensure that the current legislation is complied with to reduce the opportunities for COVID-19 to spread. Throughout the country's response to the pandemic, West Mercia's police, police approach has always been to engage with individuals and businesses first and foremost to negate the need for significant intervention wherever possible. What is significant intervention and what does it mean? This shop has already been advised previously by Witchhaven District Council that they should not be open within the current restrictions and the shop had already been issued with a prohibition notice. My understanding of that is that that was before they started to sell um, essential goods. Clearly, at the time of the visit, that notice was being breached. Our officers were therefore simply visiting the premises to advise and will report their findings to Witchhaven District Council. We understand the restrictions can be challenging and we know this business is well-loved in Droitwich, but the government legislation is in place to minimise the spread of COVID-19 and to keep us all safe. We all have a critical part to play in that, uh, issued by the West Mercia Police Corporate Communications uh, Unit. Now, I'm not sure whether you would agree with me on this one, but I don't think the police there have offered any reason why one shop should be shut while another one remains open. Because if it's dangerous to walk around inside Grace Cards and Books in Droitwich, surely it must also be dangerous to walk around outside it in the corridor of the shopping centre or indeed inside WH Smith's where it could also be dangerous. But it's all right to walk around in WH Smith's because apparently it's not dangerous in there. I don't understand. Let us talk now, though, to Lydia Walker-Cox, co-owner of Grace Cards and Books. Lydia, very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, great. Lovely good. to speak to you. Lovely to speak yeah. to you. Thank you so much to your yeah. son uh, for giving us that video at the weekend. It took off like a wildfire. Yeah, it did. Ble- pleased yeah. to see that we've now managed to at least get some kind of reaction out of both the council uh, and West Mercia Police. But, I mean, they're not yeah. really giving any ground here, are they? No, it doesn't sound like it. Um but yeah, I mean, I mean, we're we're standing not just for ourselves, but we're standing for all small businesses out there. This is a this is a complete injustice yeah. to all small businesses that can't operate, while the larger businesses that are selling the same things are allowed to operate. Yeah. So yeah, to it's, me, it's, that's black it's and white. very, very unfair. And as far as I'm aware, and, and you can correct me if I'm not right here, but when you were issued initially with the closure order, that was before uh, you had the essential items to sell, right? No, the closure order came after we had the essential items in. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we had an initial uh, visit from the police mm. uh, on the first day of the second lockdown, telling us to close. Right. Now, at that stage, we didn't have... Um, confectionery and drinks uh so we closed the shop mm. and then we reopened with um drinks and confectionery right. and then we then the council visited us and uh, uh served us with this notice right so they're kind of picking on you a bit aren't they yeah i mean yeah it feels like it um i mean we do we sell a, a decent um selection of sugar craft products yeah which we feel are essential, especially this time of year with uh, people making Christmas cakes and, um, yeah, we're selling, a, you know, icing, marzipan. That's all edible anyway. So we've, we've sold that for 30 right. years. Right. Um, so, yeah. And I don't know whether you've read the report um, 
that there's some lockdown changes being made uh, to people being allowed to sell Christmas trees. Yes, um, I have seen that. So, yeah. So, um, you know, good. I'm glad for those people. Uh, I wouldn't want any businesses to close. But, you know, we're we're alongside those in the fact that we're selling Christmas sugar craft. Yeah, right. Um, uh, indeed. So, so it's actually seasonal goods that you're selling. Absolutely. Mm. And it's yeah. it's interesting as well when, when you watch that video that right near the end, a customer actually walks into the shop. Yeah. Which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We've had lots of support from our customers. Um, they're, uh, most of them are saying, so glad you're open. It's great. I've ser- I served a customer this morning, a lovely lady, and uh, she said that at the beginning of this second lockdown, when we had to be closed, she came down into the town to buy a card from our shop, mm. which she couldn't do because we were closed. And she wanted to use the um, dry cleaning shop. Uh, she couldn't use that either because they were, they've were they been forced to close. Really? So she well, I thought because dry cleaners where, where I am are still open. Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, she tried to use the shop. So she ended up going to a, a supermarket mm. to do both of those things. Right. So this is what people are doing. They're going to the big boys to... Um, to buy their stuff instead of the small businesses mm. so yeah it does feel like um we're we're you know it's, it's a purposeful thing trying to get rid of small businesses the other thing is my daughter visited um our local um garden center which it's again we've got no um nothing against them as a business it's we want all businesses to be open um but it does rankle a lot with small businesses when these garden centers are allowed to be open mm. and they sell everything that we're selling and you know she went up there yesterday and the queue whoa the queue was just massive right. all all the way down the car park people trying to get in this was at the beginning of the day when they they were trying to open you know right right and they sell gifts they sell cards up there you know you don't go to a garden center for anything except a trip or a jolly you don't go up there for essential no essential stuff do you? no but that's why the essential thing is absolute nonsense so i've got a tweet here from somebody called uh, isolation dj he says i was able to buy these really essential light up dj letters from marks and spencers on kensington high street you couldn't make it up you know there's all sorts of stuff that you can go and buy which is in in, yeah. in, in in nobody's mind essential in any way shape or form but they claim in this statement the police that you are registered as a card and gift shop but that doesn't matter really does it yeah, when you're can registered I point as... something out mike if you look up wh smith droitwich yeah they are um there's a title underneath wh smith droitwich that says stationers they're not even called a news agent right if you if you look them up yeah so they're um, actually calling themselves the same as you effectively yeah, I mean, uh, and anyway, just because in your title you don't have everything listed in your title of, of what you're selling doesn't mean to say that you're not selling that product or right. those essential items. No, exactly right. And also this final this final paragraph where it says, you know, we understand the restrictions can be challenging, but then they say the legislation is in place to minimise the spread of COVID-19 and to keep us all safe. Well, as I said, you know, how is it a, any more dangerous uh, to walk around your shop yeah. than it is to walk outside in the corridor of the shopping centre? Yeah, and the other point is, Mike... Businesses like ours, we were told to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds making our shops COVID secure. Yeah. We were told we've got to have it, you know, so we did all that. We we were good, honest, you know, we, we, we kitted our shops out right. in, in, in all the way that the government wanted us to, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then they um, pulled the rug out from under our feet 
and tell us we've got to be shut. Mm. Well, we can very you clearly know, see in the video, out. you can very clearly see in the video that you've put those Perspex screens up, so you're very yeah. well protected from uh, infecting anybody if, if that was what they were worried about. Yeah. But, I mean, um, as far as the uh, visit was concerned, I mean, when they said to you, you could lose your licence, I mean, they don't have the right to, to even no. suggest that, do they? No, I don't, I don't think they do. Um, and we've had our centre manager into our shop this morning, and he has... Uh, reassured us that our landlord is very happy about us being open based yeah. on what we're selling and um, uh, that, that we are selling essential, you know, the, the, the things that we're selling are, are okay with our lease. So they're very happy about it. And right. they're very happy because we're going to be paying our rent at the end of the day. Well, exactly. And, and if everybody, I mean, it's a typical kind of, you know, jobs worth type attitude to mess about with something that doesn't need messing about with, it seems to me. You know, the customers yeah, are happy to shop there. You're very happy to make sure that the customers are in uh, small enough numbers so that there's no hazard at all for anybody. Yeah. The landlord's happy. You know, you guys are happy. You know, you're paying your taxes. You're paying uh, all yeah. of the uh, attentions to, to health that you're meant to do. It's a nonsense. Yeah, and we're not taking that government grant that they're offering us, so that's their money, more, more money in their pocket. Yes, well, this um, is the statement that I've got from Witchhaven uh, Council, who say that they have distributed more than thirty-two million to businesses during the first lockdown, and so far six hundred thousand to businesses forced to close during the current one. And they say that you should apply for um, a grant from them, but I think you said to me earlier that it wouldn't cover it much, would it? It doesn't even cover the rent. Right. No, it doesn't. So what you are they? The what, what's the what's the maximum you could get? Well, I think it's like two and a half grand or something. Two two and a half grand. It doesn't even cover our rent. Right. And the other thing is that we've we've got we've got thousands of pounds worth of Christmas stocks out there. Yeah. You know, we we were all ready for Christmas. Yeah. So we've got to sell that stuff, else it's just money on the shelf that's being wasted. Well, exactly. And I mean, in the end, it may well be that after this afternoon, Boris Johnson's going to say anyway, um, that come December the 2nd, that these particular lockdown rules won't apply anyway. <laughs> you know, Crazy. it really yeah. is bonkers. But, did but, you manage you know, to talk just... to did you manage to talk to a lawyer? Well, yeah, we've taken some legal advice and it's been very helpful. Uh, we've got more things in the pipeline um, because we feel so strongly about this, Mike, that not not just not just for ourselves, yeah. um, just for, for businesses uh, up and down the country as a whole, small businesses that are, you know, it's tough anyway. Right. Normally speaking, it's tough. Never mind about this com coming along. Um, and we speak on behalf of the injustice that's that's happening right. to smaller businesses. Um, so, so, yeah, um, we're going to keep going. We're well, staying well, open. I, well, I wish you all the luck in the world. I'm sure all of our listeners and viewers do as well. So um, just keep in touch with us. Let us know what's going on. And if they try and get heavy, you know, we'll, we may have to take some other action. <laughs> I don't know what it will yeah. be, but we'll we'll, 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 we'll see. What, maybe we'll come and do a show from your shop or something. They'll have to open it yeah. up for that. Yeah. Good. All right, Lydia. Well, listen, well done. And thank you so much for talking to us once more. Lydia Walker-Cox there uh, from Grace Cards and Books. Isn't it ridiculous, right? Absolutely, utterly ridiculous. We're getting loads of tweets coming in uh, saying that basically the council have got this wrong because they have got it wrong. You know, if they're allowing WH Smiths to remain open on the grounds that they sell essential items, well, so does Grace Cards and Books. And it's a ridiculous and re small matter that they're registered as a card and gift uh, shop because, um, as is the, the stationary business, uh, WH Smith say they do the same thing. So I'm afraid 
Witchhaven District Council have got this one wrong. Their statement says this. We absolutely understand the challenges all businesses are currently facing and will continue to face. We have supported them throughout this pandemic and will continue to do so. We distributed more than £32 million to businesses during the first lockdown and have so far paid out more than £600,000 to businesses forced to close during the current lockdown with more applications to process. We are also making £1.3 million available to support businesses that are affected by the restrictions but do not qualify for the main support scheme. Well, there you go, already saying that the main support scheme isn't really good enough. And listening to uh, Lydia there, she says all she would be getting uh, is not enough money to even cover the rent. Both grants, they say, are available for businesses to apply for from our website, and we would urge Grace Card and Books to do so if they haven't already. Well, they haven't because they don't want the money. But they also say the money would not be sufficient for them to be able to be compensated for no business. The government set out by law the types of businesses that had to close from the 5th of November in order to halt the spread of the virus, reduce the pressure on our NHS and save lives. Not that old chestnut. Grace Card and Books is registered as a card and gift shop, and that is one of the business types that have to close by law. I mean, we're actually closing places where you can buy a birthday card, right? Do you understand how ridiculous that sounds? They were advised of this the day before the notice was issued and told they could continue to trade by delivery or click and collect. Oh, that's great, because that's what I really want to do when I'm out and about thinking, oh, I should buy a Christmas card for somebody or a birthday card for somebody. What? No, what I'll do is I'll go home uh, and I'll go on the Internet and I'll order it and then I'll go and pick it up. Nobody does that. They chose to remain open and so a prohibition notice was issued on Thursday 19th November under the health protection brackets coronavirus restrictions brackets England number four regulations 2020. It is important everyone follows the rules either as businesses or individuals and plays their part in helping reduce the spread of the virus. Well why don't you shut the whole shopping centre then? The vast majority of businesses are voluntarily complying with the law and we thank them for that. Well I'm sure they're very grateful that you've shut them down. So they can't make any money just before Christmas. So they can't actually even afford to have Christmas. We understand why business owners and the public get frustrated and confused when they see other types of businesses being allowed to continue trading or selling items that are deemed non-essential. Really? You understand it, do you? That's good. The government made the decision on which type of businesses would and would not be allowed to trade and what they would be allowed to sell. We can only enforce the regulations. So in other words, you're just going to follow the orders. Marvellous, isn't it? Welcome to Britain 2020. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Julie, though, who's in Banbury. Hi, Julie. Hiya. How are you doing? Um, well, I'm a small shopkeeper, so ah. I'm not doing so well, really. Are you open or closed? Oh, I'm closed. Oh, God. What sort of shop is it? It's a ladies' accessory gift shop. Okay. Doesn't sell any of the required goods to actually allow me to open my doors. No, you couldn't get some Christmas gear in there, could you? We we could have. We're not stupid. We <laughs> thought we could buy a load of chocolate in and sell it, but we thought it really wasn't mm. going to be socially acceptable for us to do that. Right. Because it's obviously just getting round it. Sure. And presumably you um, closed in the first lockdown, did you? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, we we have basically had no income for a year, and because we opened... In March last year, we have not had any government support. Oh, no. We've had no wages, basically, for the entire year. So how many weeks have you had to close this year so far? Well, we obviously had, have had the two big clo- shutdowns, but we also found trade was so poor mm. that we were only opening two days a week anyway. Oh, God. Because it was uh, so few people were actually coming out and about. Right. And are you in a sort of busy street or, or tucked away or what? 
No, no, we're in town centre. Right. And not, have, you had, have you had any kind of compensation? Nothing at all? Uh, we did receive, as many small businesses received, a 10,000 grant, which was supposed to cover the three weeks at the beginning. Right. And nothing since. No. So have you had to pay rent and everything? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. How do you manage it? I mean, I, I take my hat off to people like you, Julie, because, I mean, I, a friend of mine, you know, runs nightclubs in Scotland, and he's on the show quite a bit, and he's had has no income whatsoever since since March. I don't yeah. know how they do it. Well, I had certain amounts of money put by for my old age, yeah, and I no longer have that money put by for my old age. Goodness me. And when do you think you'll be able to make any money? Um, I doubt, to be honest, this shop will ever make any money now. I mm. think we've been put to our knees and, uh, you know... We might be able to trade again next year at some point, but right. it's 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 on the edge. Right, and it's a family business, presumably. It's just me and my business partner, two two ladies of a certain age. Yeah, goodness gracious, it's awful, isn't it? So, at what, what what point will you kind of make a decision about just pulling the plug? Well, what I would like the government to explain is why Marks and Spencer's, Aldi, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Smiths, mm. Hotel Chocolat. Why they can all open yeah. when there are, um, you know, a lot of their products are similar to mine. Right. And why a little shop run by two little old ladies, basically, yeah. can't. Where, where you can presumably com- police the numbers coming in and out, and so one, one at a time, two at a time, whatever it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we've d- done all the screens and everything that everybody else has done, right. and we have the hand sanitising station. Right. And, you know, I can absolutely pretty much guarantee you somebody coming in our shop is is much less likely to mix with lots of people yeah. while they're doing so and and are in no danger i personally myself has had covid right and makes, I, believe... I mean none of this makes any sense though julie that's the trouble and it's affecting no. people like ordinary decent people like you it's a disgrace in my view yeah i think it's a disgrace and i am flabbergasted yeah. that a government could do this to the people of this country, and nobody realises that they think this year's been bad. Wait till next year. Mm, I know. All the shops and lots of even big businesses are going to fold. Yeah. It, it, it truly, the, the disease is a lot less dangerous than this cure, as mm. you are always saying. Yes, it's very true. Well, Julie, listen, I wish you all the best, and hopefully there'll be some good news later today, perhaps, about how you can open up. But as you say, you may never be able to make any money because of the way things are. What a terrible story. Julie uh, speaks for an awful lot of people, I'm sure, from Banbury uh, up there in Oxfordshire, because that is what these ridiculous rules are doing. And when you go back to the beginning of this show, which we talked about, you know, the death rates, the occupancy of people uh, in ICU units, in beds, in hospitals up and down the country, the predictions of doom, gloom, death, despondency, all wrong, all completely and utterly fudged. This is the result of what those data show. And it's wrong in all sorts of ways. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Quite upsetting when you listen to stories like Julie's, isn't it? I mean, it really is quite disgraceful what is going on up and down the country and how people are being made to suffer. Somebody like her who's having to spend all of her own savings in order just to stay afloat personally um, because she's looked after herself uh, all of her life and because she's been careful with her money. And yet now thanks to this government, um, for no apparent reason, they've basically just crushed her business. They might as well have set fire to it, as Peter Hitchens said. They might as well have just gone in there uh, with a blowtorch and completely ruined everything um, and smashed all the glass and uh, just left it because the effect is the same.
Absolutely shocking state of affairs. Let's talk, though, to Monica Price, nutritionist. We haven't spoken for some time uh, because an interesting story this morning uh, has emerged about vegans. You know, vegans are always going on about how healthy they are, you know, how brilliantly fit they are and how much longer they're going to live. Well, it turns out, actually, a vegan diet weakens your bones and you might end up breaking them much more easily than those of us who don't uh, forego meat. Let's find out from Monica what it's all about. Hi, Monica. Hello, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. Thank you very much Good. for asking. Lovely to see you. Thank you so much for having Not me Not at on. all. Now, I meet more and more people, and it's probably just because I'm so trendy, uh, who say, yeah. oh, yeah, well, I've gone <laughs> vegan for a couple of days of the week, you know, and you go, yeah. all right, good luck to you then. You won't be joining yeah. me for dinner. Um, but, I mean, it turns out now that vegans aren't as healthy as they think they are. Yeah, this latest study, Mike, is quite shocking, actually. Mm. I mean, they did a study with 55,000 people. So it's a large study. And it was looking at the effects, obviously, on, on meat and, and, and what it does to the body. And also the fact if you were a vegan or a vegetarian, what the effects were on your body. And obviously, as you say, this study came out to say that if you were a vegan, you were 43% more likely to have broken bones or suffer from something like osteoporosis yeah. or you know, arthritic arthritis. So this was quite alarming. And I think, you know, more and more people have turned vegan, Mike. There's no doubt about it. But what what you have to remember is if you suddenly decide to go vegan, it's it's completely different if you were vegetarian. Because as a vegetarian, you will still have some animal byproducts. So eggs, for example. Yes. So dairy will get into your diet. Whereas when you become a vegan, of course, everything goes and all animal products and byproducts will just go. And that's the danger because people don't understand that. So if you are a vegan or you're thinking about becoming a vegan, it's really important that you think about how you're going to get your calcium and your protein and, of course, your vitamins. Vitamin B12 is a crucial vitamin for vegans because it's only made, uh, you know, we, it's not something that our body can make. So we have to get it from, from our food. And, of course, B12 is in meat So and meat products so if you're a vegan and you're not having b12 then you need to think about having a supplement or look for something what we call fortified foods yes so it's a real risk here mike it's a really good study actually it is good isn't it because they also say that by general sort of consensus vegans tend to be much thinner as well um, and it might have something to do with that because when they fall, and I presume this means if they're older or if they're falling off their bikes or something, uh, they're more likely to actually break something. Yeah, do you know, that's very interesting, actually, Mike, because I think age would come into this. Mm. I think if you were a young vegan and you were exercising really well, and if you're a vegan, you know, you'll be eating lots of plant-based foods, so you should be very healthy. But I think as you become older, um, then perhaps you're not sticking to the foods that perhaps you should be eating and you're lack- you're going to be lacking in vitamins. You know, often people don't have, the, you know, the protein. So, you know, they, they tend to just have jacket potatoes or yeah. lots of fruit and lots of vegetables, which is great, but you you need all the other food groups so you need to think about where you're getting your calcium so you need to think about things like soya milk Mm. for example um, or almond milk Um, but you you have to decide that you know you have to make a conscious effort you can't just say well I'm not going to have those in my diet because it's like anything any diet once you start excluding things from your diet then you're going to be lacking in those vital nutrients and minerals right yeah so it's quite tough then isn't it for people I mean it sounds as though you'd be better off being a vegan a couple of days a week like some people are rather than every single day. Yeah, I think being a vegan is a, is a big thing. You know, it's um, I've obviously worked with lots of vegans. You know, I've got vegans that are f- friends that are vegans, really? and it's, it's a real it's a real uh, 
you know, not a job, I'd say, but it's a, it, you know, they have to really think about their food. You know, we can't go out, of course, at the moment. But, mm. you know, when they do go out, they'll, they'll be more prone to go to vegan restaurants, etc. And, you know, it, these are these are few and far between at the moment. So but veganism is on the increase. You know, we've got currently six, over just over 600,000 people in the UK that are vegan. So it's it's on the increase. But I've, lots of doctors and professional and people in, in the profession like myself have said, you know, try it. You know, it's, mm. it's a it's a radical change in your diet. So if you're thinking about it, it might be better, as you say, just do it for perhaps one or two days. See how you get on get on with it, because that's the other thing, Mike. Not everybody gets on with eating yeah. just plant based foods. So it, it's everybody's different, and all of our DNAs are different. So you've got to find something that works for you. And whilst you might think that you want to become vegan, it's not for everybody. You know, I've seen cases where you know people have tried to go vegan and they've been totally exhausted. Mm. Um, you know, because they, again, they haven't really got to grips with what they should be eating. But it's possible, you know, and obviously everybody has a choice now. Um, but if you if you are going to do it, you've got to really research, do your research, find out where you're going to get, as I say, particularly your calcium, because of course we need that for our bones and, uh, and our protein. And it's all doable, but, mm. you know, you've just got to eat certain foods that, you know, other people who are meat eaters obviously wouldn't grab. No, because, I mean, one of the problems for, for people that I know who are vegetarians is if they are going to a restaurant, they're never yeah. quite sure um, whether it's a meat restaurant, uh, if it is a meat restaurant as well, um, yeah. whether their cooking facilities are completely separate for vegetarian food or whether they're just using the same kind of stuff, you know. Um, yeah, and it. similarly, if you're a vegan, I presume you'd be even more concerned because McDonald's have announced, haven't they, that they're going to be doing yes, uh, some plant-based menu, which That's I would cool. imagine if you're a vegan, you'd be going, well, where are they cooking that? So, yeah, well, you see, this is the thing. I mean, vegan, again, it's different. Vegetarian, you might not be so so worried about, you know, the gravies and the mixes and the sauces. Mm. But as a vegan, you would be. Mm. You would be very concerned about how and where that sauce is being made. Is it being made in the same, you know, uh, places as, as where you would make, you say, rich gravy with meat-based and meat-based yeah. gravy? So all these things come into play when you're a vegan. So it'd be really interesting. You know, they're going to have to have a separate section. I mean, but it's interesting, though, Mike, that, you know, uh, the good old McDonald's have, have jumped on that bandwagon and, and realised that people, you know, consumers have opted for more plant-based foods. But it's when you're a, when you're a real vegan, a true vegan, you know, there'd be the whole reason you're vegan is because. You obviously don't want to eat meat products, but, you know, you've obviously got an environmental issue as well. You know, it's the you're worried about the climate. They've usually got some environmental issues mm. as well that they're very concerned about. And, you know, and it's a whole lifestyle. So I don't know. It's 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 going to be one of those. But it's really important, especially at this time of the year, that you're getting the nutrients in your body. You well, know, it's certainly it's, giving me some ammunition for the next time some vegan comes up and goes, but I'm so much more healthy than you. I'll say, shut up, Ross, I'll <laughs> shove you over. You might break something. <laughs> Monica, thanks very much indeed. Monica Price, nutritionist there with the news that if you eat a vegan diet only, uh, it might be bad for your bones. You might be at risk of breaking something uh, because apparently uh, your balance is not as good as it ought to be uh, inside of your diet. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 